What is going on, folks? Today is Thursday, October 18th, and you have just tuned in to Case Catholic Radio. So last week, we had a much weightier episode where we talked about the situation with sex abuse in Pennsylvania, the thing that broke in the month of August. And we talked about, while it is right that things like this upset us and drive us toward action, that such tragic shortcomings of leaders in the church shouldn't lead us from the church but ultimately should lead us to desire to purify it. At the end of that episode, I promised that though we started with a heavy topic, this semester would have just as many scripture reflections and uplifting topics as we have had in past semesters. Today, I take my first steps toward fulfilling that promise. What we're going to talk about today is a very familiar passage from the Gospel according to John, where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and engages in conversation with her. The most recent time that I heard this passage, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before about it. And I think that sharing what I noticed and sharing the insights that came forth from it, that might give you all a new lens through which to view this passage that might deepen your appreciation of the passage as well as deepen your appreciation for the Lord who gave it to us. This will be a bit of a long reading because there's a lot in it, and I think that there are things at the beginning, at the end, and all through the middle that are important for the point that we're going to make. So I don't think any of it can be cut off. So just bear with me and enjoy the Word of God as I read through it. With that said, and so that I don't get into spoiler territory, here we go. Jesus had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the right place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither the mountain, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what, we, what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will show us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, What do you wish, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples begged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months then come the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So, like I said, this was... A long reading, but I hope that as we get into talking about it that you'll understand why I felt that we needed to read the whole thing. This whole conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman begins with these two people meeting at a well because they each are beset with thirst. Yet, the conversation ends without either of them drinking. The passage actually makes this fairly explicit when it says that the woman leaves her water jar and goes away into the city. Neither of them drank, but both of them seem to leave the encounter satisfied. The woman seems to totally forget her thirst and want nothing more than to share the news of her encounter with this man Jesus. And Jesus, for his part, when his apostles come later with refreshments, basically says in an elegant, godly way, No thanks. I'm good. 
Now, this makes sense for the woman, right? Jesus was telling her that whoever drinks of the water that he is going to give will never thirst. And indeed, that was the case for her. She was able to leave satisfied without ever having to drink the water from the well. Seems like that's kind of the point of the story. But it's the fact that Jesus' thirst also seems quenched by this encounter, which stuck out to me last time that I read this passage. How is it, why is it, that after this encounter with the woman, Jesus' thirst is also abated? That's what I think those next couple verses in the passage, the verses that often are left out because they're sort of considered after the passage, speak to in a particularly powerful way. By the time the disciples come to Jesus after this encounter, he gives us a strong hint as to what it was that satisfied him, that satisfied this weariness, this thirst that he had been feeling, when he tells his disciples, I have food to eat of which you do not know, to do the will of the one who sent me. That leaves us who received this word to ask when between he got between when he got to the well and when his disciples arrived, did he do the will of his father? And I think that the answer is obvious. When he offered himself in love as living water to the woman, and the woman responded by offering herself in return. Jesus' thirst is satisfied by the faith of the woman. And I think that this is a beautiful Christological moment that tells us a lot about who Christ is. Because when the Son, in his divine nature, received the satisfaction of the woman at the well's growth in faith and love, he experiences that same satisfaction in his human nature, in his embodiedness, as relief from weariness, as satiation of his hunger and his thirst. Where the disciples brought him mundane food in an attempt to care for his bodily needs, his true food, his true drink, was the love of the woman and the love of those to whom she proclaimed his name. This led me to a perhaps faith-altering revelation that my relationship with Christ is not only one in which he is the satisfier of my thirst, the, the meter of my needs, my hungers, my desires, but in a mysterious way, even though without me, Christ is all things, without me, he lacks nothing, by responding to his love and devotion with love and devotion of my own, I satisfy Christ's thirst. I satisfy God's thirst. Reflecting on this brought to mind something that I had forgotten about, something that I hadn't heard in a while, um, something which St. Teresa of Calcutta once wrote in regards to just this truth, a time where she felt Christ expressing his thirst for her and wrote down the very words that she felt he was saying to her. I'm going to read an excerpt from that prayer and I expect that many of you will have the same joyful, uh, jovial response that I did. Because when I first read through this, I couldn't help but smile as each line made it seem more and more that, though in the gospel, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in simple words, this was precisely what Christ was communicating to her. 
Mother Teresa writes in the, in the voice of Christ speaking to her, I know above all your need for love, how much you are thirsting for love and tenderness. Yet how many times have you desired to satisfy your thirst in vain? Seeking that love with selfishness, trying to fill the void within you with passing pleasures, with the even greater emptiness of sin. Do you thirst for love? Come to me, all you who thirst. I will satisfy you and fill you. Do you thirst to be loved? I love you more than you can imagine, to the point of dying on a cross for you. I thirst for you. Yes, this is the only way to even begin to describe my love for you. I thirst for you. I thirst to love you and to be loved by you. So precious are you to me that I thirst for you. Come to me and I will fill your heart and heal your wounds. I will make you a new creation and give you peace even in your trials. I thirst for you. You must never doubt my mercy, my desire to forgive, my longing to bless you and live my life in you and that I accept you no matter what you have done. I thirst for you. If you feel of little value before the eyes of the world, it doesn't matter. There is no one that interests me in the whole world more than you. I thirst for you. Open up to me. Come to me. Thirst for me. Give me your life and I will prove to you how important you are for my heart. Don't you realize that my Father already has a perfect plan to transform your life, beginning from this moment? Trust in me. Ask me every day to enter and take charge of your life, and I will. I promise you before my Father in heaven that I will work miracles in your life. Why would I do this? Because I thirst for you. And so does he thirst for you and I, friends. But for some of us, this creates a bit of a theological, a philosophical question. God is utterly without need. Even without me, without you, in reality, he lacks nothing. How can it be then that he can thirst for us? How can we have such a claim on him? When I thought about this, a story came to mind for me that I think serves as a strong analogy for how this might work. How God can thirst for someone when in reality he contains all things, all satisfaction within himself. A couple of years ago, my friend Kelsey was driving home when she came across a deer that had been hit by a car um, on the road. The driver of the car that hit the deer had apparently driven off after striking the animal. So Kelsey, seeing this deer that was still alive but sort of in its last moments, put on her hazard lights and parked her car in front of the deer, which was still on the road, and with one good look at it, she knew that the creature was going to die. There was an ache in her heart that led her to just desire to be with the animal in its final moments.
And so she did. And after a couple of minutes, the deer did die. Now, there was nothing that Kelsey lacked that the company of a dying deer would satisfy. But, and this is the point, because of her benevolence, she ached. You could say she thirsted to accompany the deer in its final moments. And though she still left shaken by the experience, her being able to be there in part satisfied the thirst which arose not out of the deer's claim on her, but out of her own benevolence. Our God is infinitely more benevolent than Kelsey. No offense, Kel, if you're listening in. And his benevolence, and in his benevolence, I should say, he created a whole race of people with the freedom to love or to withhold themselves from him. He who is the satisfaction of all thirst created beings for whom he might thirst. So I think we can say that in the same way as Kelsey thirsted to accompany that animal in its dying moments, infinitely more does God thirst to accompany us in each moment of our lives. But as he is a God who respects the freedom with which he has endowed us, he will not force his company on us, but we must invite him. And he thirsts in his benevolence to be invited. So when the Lord approaches you in whichever of the manifold ways that he does, you might say that he approaches you not only offering to satisfy your thirst, he does offer that, but perhaps it's not only what he's doing, but he's also asking you, as Jesus was asking Mother Teresa and the woman at the well, will you satisfy my thirst? And so for those of you who are like me, who are too often content to put off the Lord's desire to satisfy your thirst, to fill yourself instead with things that will before long leave you thirsting again, I encourage you to be aware that you're not the only one in your relationship with Christ who is thirsting. Because if, for whatever reasons, God, God's offering of himself is not compelling, interesting, or captivating to you, and I say that not as a judgment, but as the reality is sometimes it just doesn't feel that way for us. Perhaps knowing that you can make yourself an offering to him to satisfy his thirst might lead you closer to his heart. And I promise you that as you draw near to the Lord's heart and drink of the living water which he offers, you will more and more find how simply satisfying it is. And you will also find that no matter how much you give to him, no matter how far you go to satisfy his thirst, that he always can and he always will outgive you. Amen. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in to Case Catholic Radio. 
For those of you students who are listening to this in its first week out in the air, I've got a couple of announcements before you before I sign out. First, we've still got one spot left for those who want to attend the SEEK conference in Indianapolis this January 3rd through 7th. Info about this conference slash retreat has been all over our social media page and in our email list, so I'm not going to repeat it all here. But if you want to fill that spot, please get back to me as soon as possible. I'm going to be submitting our registration very, very soon here. Second, our busy student retreat is also coming up, and it's one of our most popular retreats every year. So if you're interested in taking part in the retreat in the middle of your week, please let me know by this Friday, October 26th. Third and finally, that same day, Friday 1026, we're going to be joining with the other Newman Centers in the diocese for a Halloween party at Baldwin Wallace. If you have not already let us know that you plan to be there for that, please contact our Vice President, Brandon McFarland, at bfm21 at case.edu. That's all that I've got for you guys this week, and I will catch you guys next time. And until then, remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Peace!